This is the Love Your Mom Life podcast, where we get real about getting out of your motherhood rut and creating a mom life you love. I'm your host, Nikki Odin, and I know a lot about what it's like to not love your mom life. Being a mom is hard, and being a mom with goals and dreams is even harder. Over the years, I've spent a whole lot of time on the hot mess express trying to harmonize motherhood with everything else I want out of life. But eventually, I figured it out, sort of. You can create a mom life you absolutely love. So come on, let's do this thing together. Before we dive in, this is my cute little reminder to please hit that subscribe button. Be sure to follow us on social, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, be sure to visit the blog at youridealmomlife.com for real life solutions to help you take back your time and love your mom life again. Hey there, welcome back to the Love Your Mom Life podcast. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest who is a best-selling author and the funny, smart, caring friend all of us need as moms who wants to support you when you're down and inspire you to live your best life. She's here to chat with us about building confidence to follow your dreams and rejecting society's norms and expectations. Before we meet her though, just a couple of reminders. Be sure to hit that plus or checkmark button in your podcast app to officially follow this podcast. And if you like this episode, go ahead and share it with another mom. Be sure you're following me on Instagram. My handle is at Nikki Odin. And if you haven't done that yet, seriously, what are you waiting for? Let's be friends already. Also, in case you missed it, the book is written. We're in the final phases of editing and it will launch on Black Friday. I'll be sending updates via email and I'm also looking for a few individuals to be part of my launch team. So if you're not already receiving my emails, be sure to click on the link in the show notes to join my tribe and get in the know. And now let's meet our guest. Today's guest, best-selling author of Unboxed, Essays on Learning to Trust Myself So I Could Stop Doing the Things I Hate, is a life coach and writer whose work has also appeared online and in the best-selling anthology, The Addiction Diaries. In her coaching practice, she helps her clients reclaim space in their own lives, step out of their perceived expectations, and learn to trust themselves. She lives in Mount Kisco, New York with her husband, three children, and two dogs. She is also COO of 914 Cares, a Westchester-based nonprofit. Check out her website, everythinglauren.com, and be sure to connect with her on Instagram at It's Everything Lauren. I'm thrilled that she's here. Welcome to the show, Lauren Schwartzfeld. Thanks, Nikki. I'm super excited to be here, and I'm so excited for your book to be coming out also. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm really thrilled about it. It's called Definitely Wear Mascara Though, Life Hacks on How to Love Your Mom Life and Yourself a Little More. And it is just the culmination of everything I love about what I've been doing with Your Ideal Mom Life. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, I love that. I love any time we get to sort of put out into the world the things that are like ruminating in our heads. I think the minute they come out of our mouths every, you know, we suddenly realize that people around us are like, yeah, I think that too. And why didn't anybody right. else do that? And what, 
why have I been thinking I'm the only one thinking those things? And I think we've spent a long time being told like, no, 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 shh, you talk too much. You talk too much. And mm-hmm. I think the truth is we haven't really been talking enough, or maybe we haven't really been talking enough about the right things or the things we're supposed to be talking about. And yeah. And and maybe we haven't been making enough space to just sort of free talk without an agenda, without a direction, without a format or fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of let it all out so that we can hear what, what kind of, what, what needs to be said and what other people need to hear. Um, so, yeah. you know, I love these kinds of conversations where it's like, let's sit down and talk about being moms and see what happens because you never really know where these conversations are going to go and what, what needs to come out of your mouth and what other people need to take away from it. Exactly. And I think that is the whole point of what you and I are doing really in our respective spheres is trying to just get real about what it's like to be a mom and be a mom with goals and dreams and how that looks in the world and as we model for our children. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be scared and just to kind of keep going and do it anyway, to learn how to trust yourself like you were talking about. So tell me more about the book. It's the Unboxed. Yeah. So, you know, this idea of of Unboxed, I think we have somewhat similar backgrounds. I worked in finance for a long time. I did all of these very logical things. I did these things (laughs) that made Everyone tells you to do. I did all of the things that I was told I was supposed to do to have the things that I was told I was supposed to want because it made Mm. sense and it would be safe and secure. And, and if that's what people say you're supposed to do, and that's what happy people have done, and that's what successful people have done, then that's what you're supposed to do. And so we did all of these things. And, um, and then I looked around and was like, uh, this isn't what I thought happy would feel like. Um, and it didn't, it, it was this sort of strange mix of, yeah, I'm happy in the sense that I'm comfortable, but also there's so many other things I'd like to be feeling and thinking and doing and, and experiencing. Um, and so I tried to sort of recreate all of these other experiences what I kept doing was jumping from like prefab box to prefab box to prefab box, meaning I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? And I looked for a thing that existed. Right. So I like to use food as an example. I think it's very tangible. People can often relate to it. And so if you think about it in the sense of, if you ask your friends or the Facebook world, where should I go out to lunch? They're going to tell you places where they've gone out to eat, where they've had really good experiences, places that they know and trust and like, and that exist. Yeah. They're going to tell you things that exist. Um, and that's great, except that maybe your answer is actually that you should cook something. Mm. Maybe your answer is that the food you're in the mood for isn't at a restaurant. Maybe you're actually a really great cook. Maybe like maybe a thousand different things. Maybe what you want, like it's great what they're giving you. What they're giving you is the safety and security of being able to give you, like 
obviously, if somebody asks me for advice, I'm going to give them the absolute best I can give them. Sure. Um, but they don't know my skill level in terms of cooking. Like they don't know my dietary needs. They don't know what I'm capable of making. And so there's all of these other factors that go into like what I need and want and I'm capable of creating for myself. Right. Well, like what the answer is. Right. And so my answer is like, I need to sit down and be like, what do I want? Like, what am I in the mood for? (laughs) What can I make? What ingredients do I want to put together? Like how hard am I willing to work? And so when we start to really dig into those things, we realize like, let's stop crowdsourcing the answers to these big questions about our lives. Like, let's stop asking Facebook, like, what should I register for my baby shower? What should I, where should I go on vacation? Like, let's stop crowdsourcing. Let's stop asking the world for permission and ideas and things about, things about the ideas that only we really have. And let's start asking ourselves and then let's start believing ourselves. Yeah, I love that. Right. So, you know, if we start asking the world, like, where should we go out to lunch? And they start giving us answers. Like, we're like, oh, okay, well, that's where everyone thinks we should eat. So that must be good food. But if we start thinking like, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if we start making this recipe or that recipe, we can't then turn around and be like, hey, what do you guys think of this recipe? Hey, what do you think of this? Like, (laughs) we then have to trust ourselves to know that like, this is what I believe I'm going to want. It's probably what I want. Yeah. It's, that is a really great analogy. What did that look like for you? Um, well, it looked (laughs) like, um, it looked like three finance jobs in five years after I graduated from college Mm -hmm. and then leaving the world of finance after, um, sorry. Yeah. Three jobs in six years, uh, leaving the world of finance, becoming a Pilates instructor, becoming a doula, becoming a real estate agent, working in direct sales, um, being a stay-at-home mom for a little bit. It looked like trying a bunch of different things and being like, I don't know, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, and picking and choosing and taking the things that felt right and kind of running with them. Um and being okay every time starting over. Totally. Yeah. 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 It looked like not seeing changing my mind as being a failure. Oh, that is so powerful. It looked like, I think it's, um, who is it? I think it's, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He wrote um, Essentialism. Did you read that book? It's so I did good. not. It's so good. I think his name's Greg McQueen. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, yes, that is, that's his name. It's, um, oh man. If anyone knows how to pronounce it, it's M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Yeah. He also has a podcast. Send me a note. Really lovely accent. Um, if anyone wants to listen to it and he has this really great quote, that's something like there's a difference between giving up and knowing when you've had enough. Yes. So you know, and my really good friend, Jen Pasteloff, who wrote this amazing book called On Being Human, always says, like, you get to change your mind. Yeah. I think we've really, um, I don't know, we have these ideas about what it means to, like, stick with it and not be a quitter and don't give up and keep going, keep going, keep going in ways that are sometimes a little bit detrimental and a little bit Toxic. like, 
Right. Sometimes you're on the wrong path. Like, yeah. Like, sometimes it's time to change course. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've had a very similar experience as I actually initially, the name of my business was Living the Phoenix Diaries because, like a phoenix that burns to ash and then is born from the ashes to rise again, I've started over a lot, a lot. And I, have chosen now not to look at any of those startovers as failures and to really own it when I can feel in my gut and trust myself that this this isn't working and it's okay for me to pivot. I'm going to take what I learned and put it into the next thing and just go with my gut and my intuition. And we have very, very powerful intuition as women, especially once we become mothers. Totally. Like, you know when something is off. Like, mm-hmm. you know when you're like, and this has run its course and it's mm-hmm. time to move on. I mean, there's like a, I remember, I think I wrote a blog about this a couple of years ago, but there's, I, I mean, I think I was like 25 years old and I was in a staff meeting and my boss was talking about, just talking about like opportunity costs and throwing good money after bad. And they were talking about it. It was like the investment team talking about stuff. And I was like, like a sunk cost. Really talking about finance stuff because I feel like I'm having like a life epiphany here. And this idea of like when you make an investment in something, you're giving up that money that you could be investing in something else. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I could be working somewhere else. Right. And then they're talking about, yeah, like these sunk costs. Like you're throwing money at you're you're throwing good money at, after bad money at an investment that like is already losing money. You're just trying yeah. to save something. That can't, like, can't be saved. And I'm like, oh my God, this is my life. What are, this is like a what metaphor are, for what you're living right how now. Are they, how are they looking inside my head right now? And, you know, I'm like having these epiphanies in my finance meetings where I'm like, do they know I'm about to quit? Like what is <laughs> happening? But I, I think, I think we put so much stock in this very old school idea of like, you go to work and you, you gain this sort of, I don't know, esteem from having longevity in a company and you, you know, you earn whatever, like this, this thing for having like stuck with something for so long. And like, that's a part of the success. And, and I just, I think it's outdated. I think it, I think it requires us to ignore a lot of things that, that we feel and know to be true about ourselves. Um, And I think once I stopped ignoring those things and started listening to like myself and I was like, you don't belong here anymore. Um, and it's okay to change your mind and right. it's okay to leave and it's okay to like do the things that feel most right. And it's okay that not everybody's going to agree with it. Yeah, like exactly. I remember, you know, I left my first job after college after 11 months and I remember, um, I don't know, like a friend of my mom's being like, well, that's okay for one job, but just, you know, your next job, you're going to have to stay there for a really long time to make up for that. And I was like, am I? Right. I think I'm going to probably be the same person in two years that I am right now. Like, I'm probably not going to do that. And there was, you know, it was just sort of assumed, like, you don't want to be that person who I'm like, I think I am probably that person. (laughs) Well, I think part of being successful is being willing to start over. And then when you find the thing, you may find the thing that you're like, yeah, this feels good for a long time. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, I probably realized like, I 
I don't belong in this world. Like I sat down at my desk in an office with a window and I was 22 and I was like, or 23. And I was like, oh, I just got a degree in finance and I was supposed to sit at a desk and look at a computer all day. And like, Mm -hmm. where are the people I'm supposed to talk to? (laughs) Like this doesn't, this doesn't really work for me. And I realized it was because I was listening to all of these voices. I was like doing all of these very logical things. And I sort of started to realize like, if I keep listening to that kind of advice, I was going to keep ending up in places that, that did not fit. And a lot of the decisions I made weren't necessarily logical. I had, I had, you know, a lot of privilege in being able to make illogical decisions like, Mm -hmm leaving jobs. And, you know, I had a husband who had a good job and I didn't necessarily, you know, I, I had the ability to make decisions that didn't make logical sense. Not everybody has that. And so, and that's a great thing to point out. I will definitely point that out. And I say it right in the beginning of my book, like this isn't going to, this isn't a how to of like, do all these things that I did and you'll find success or happiness or whatever. Like everybody's on their own journey you know, we don't all have the same 24 hours as Beyonce. Um, (laughs) What are you talking about? I totally do. Least favorite saying, Um, you know, like I had a lot of opportunities that aren't necessarily afforded to other people. And so I was allowed to go on this journey in what was at least physically and financially more comfortable than a lot of people. And so I like to just be very clear about that because I don't like to give off the impression of like, oh, just stop making logical decisions and suddenly it's so much easier to find yourself. Like, Well, yeah. And I think people when they're listening are like, wait, what about this? And I, so I, I had a very similar, because my husband was able to support a similar situation. I was practicing commercial litigation for a very large international law firm. I was number one in my class in law school. I got the job everyone quote unquote wanted because and I did everything that was like checking the box, like you go to school and then you get a good job and then you stay at the job. And then when you're ready to die, you can retire and have fun with your life. And I was on that path, but I realized it wasn't in alignment and that, and that happens, right? We make these decisions kind of in a box and we realize somewhere along the line, maybe that it's not in alignment and that's okay. I did have that opportunity because of my husband. I was like, I don't want to do this forever. And he's like, all right, so quit. And I'll take care of us. So I did do that. And I went and had our first child, was home with her. And I realized, um, I kind of hate being home. I don't know what, right? So then I went into direct sales and I met a lot of great people. I learned a lot about, you know, self-improvement and and discovery. And then I went into a different direct sales company and I was really successful there. And then all of a sudden, again, it just started to feel like this isn't an alignment anymore. Like even if I make it to the very top, I don't know if that's what I want. I want to do something else. And so I pivoted again. And there were people who who said like, you know, Nikki lacks commitment. She doesn't have the grit. And that's absolutely not true. So like, how do you balance that when people are like, yeah, but you like, are you telling me it's okay to be a quitter? Um, Yeah. (laughs) totally. (laughs) I'm absolutely saying that. Um, I'm saying, I'm saying that, yeah, I'm saying that sometimes not everything fits and not everything is forever. I'm, I would say that if you, um, success can't be based on 
foreverness, right? Like right. we can't base whether our success in a thing based on our ability to stay there forever. And that's no, I agree. I was going to say, I think there's a difference between things being hard, which is okay, but it's still in alignment. It's hard, but I still want it. I'm not quitting because it's hard. I'm quitting because I don't want it. Yeah. Those are two different things. Totally. And I think I found myself in a similar kind of space in direct sales. It's hard to, um, I'm not staying the same as a person. And so it's hard to imagine that the things that I will want and desire won't also have to adjust a little bit too. And so I find that I'm really particular with who and what I surround myself with because Mm -hmm. things that come with the conditionality of things that come with conditionality don't really work for me. Um, Things that come with like a, Things that come with conditionality often mean that that you're sort of stuck even even if you change. <laughs> Things that come with like a you're part of this as long as you like st- if. Yeah. And so, you know, in my house the rules are sort of like you're not allowed to be a jerk. And aside from that, like anything kind of goes like we're all people in this house and we need different things. We go through different things. We have different expectations of one another, but like there's no expectations that what everybody needs is going to be exactly the same at any given moment. And so one day you want your room painted gray. The next day you want it painted blue. Like those are things we talk about. Like nothing, no one's ever going to be like, well, yesterday you said you wanted this. Right. And if you said you wanted this yesterday and now you don't want it, like, what's the deal with that? Like, no one's ever going to say that to you. And so when we start holding people to like the things they said yesterday and bringing in this sort of shame about changing your mind and shame around growth and shame around the direction you're moving in, that's where I start to sort of like draw the line of like, you're okay with me based on what I said yesterday, me changing my mind. Like it's not me. It's what I said yesterday that makes you like me. Right. Sort of get into this, like, it's not the person, it's the message. It's not the person. It's what I bring to the table. It's not the person. It's the, like, that's what you mean about the conditionality. Yes. How often do you say to yourself, I love my mom life? A lot, hopefully. But if sometimes you sort of feel like motherhood is one long ride on the hot mess express, you're not alone. As a mom, you have the best intentions of getting your to-do list, your goals, and you know, your life in order. And sometimes you kind of do. But then a small human asks you repeatedly for a snack and you completely lose track of what you are doing. Sound familiar? Our mission at Your Ideal Mom Life is to help moms take back their time and get more of what they want. And we have a fun and simple and free way to help you make that happen. It's called the Mom Life Challenge. During this challenge, you'll learn how to create a mom life you absolutely love. In three days, you'll jumpstart the habits you need to organize your life 
and your schedule. Translation, less mom fails, more winning. And did I mention it's free? Visit us at youridealmomlife.com slash momlifechallenge and join thousands of other moms who are taking back their time and loving their mom life again. So when did you learn to trust yourself? Did it kind of come along with becoming a mother? So a little bit. I mean, I've always, you know, it's funny. I've always been really comfortable around little kids, though I wouldn't necessarily say I always really liked them. I was the same way. Um, <laughs> like I had a lot of younger cousins and it's funny because we actually just got back from, I say my little cousin, I just put that in air quotes so no one can see me. Um, <laughs> my little cousin's wedding, um, he's like 30. And um, so I have a bunch of cousins who are like 10 to 20 years younger than me and my sister. And we were really, really close to them when we were younger. And so I've been around little kids my entire life. And I really, really adored like my little people. And then I babysat when I was in like middle school and I was like, oh, other people's kids are the worst. I know. I didn't like, I didn't like kids either when I was younger. (laughs) So I always knew that like I liked little kids or that I liked my little kids and was very comfortable around them, but like other people's kids. And so when my husband and I got married, it was like assumed we would have kids, but I was like, Oh, I don't know. What if we have the ones that I don't like? Um, so my husband and I it doesn't work that way. Oh, I know. My husband and I, from the beginning, from like planning our wedding to having kids, we've always we get along very, very well. And I've always sort of been this like united front in terms of like the way we planned our wedding. We gave off these vibes of like, we are not looking for other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And so we planned the wedding that we wanted. And then when we had kids, I sort of took the lead on it. And when we were like having babies, we also very much gave off the vibes of like, we are not looking for your opinion on how we should do things. So I trusted myself a lot in like the parenting type stuff. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting because when we first had kids, I felt very, very solid in the parenting aspect. Very like, I wasn't like a nerve, neither, like I was not a nervous mother at all. My first two kids are like 16 months apart. Mm -hmm. I think we went on vacation, my husband and I, when my oldest was like eight months old. And we were like, we'll leave the baby with my mom. It's fine. Like we were very laid back parents. And so we trusted ourselves in the parenting stuff. I had my own stuff to work out with like going back to work and, you know, being a person who parented, but like the parenting stuff, I really trusted myself. Um, And it was a really good lesson in terms of like, I'm not looking for outside influence. Like nobody tried to be like, oh, are you doing this with the baby? Because I think I just gave off the vibe of like, I'm not open to suggestions and I don't, (laughs) I'm like, thanks, I got this. And it really wasn't until, it wasn't until my oldest was in, um, in kindergarten that I started to find myself around other parents. And so my, my kids all stayed in like mostly full-ish time daycare, even though I was working like part-ish time hours. Um, and so I didn't do a lot of like playgroups and things, you know, that thing where you don't really like other people's kids. Um, <laughs> so I didn't do a lot of like 
mommy play groups and things like that when my kids were younger. And so it wasn't until my oldest was in kindergarten and I found myself in this like elementary school thing. And then I somehow became PTA president where I was looking around, seeing other parents with their kids where I was like, oh, am I supposed to be doing it like that? Am I supposed to be doing it like that? Oh, interesting. And I was kind of like, and, and there was a lot of other things going on with like work stuff and friendship stuff. And, and I was like, I'm, I don't think I am. But it was like that was you when started to doubt started to creep in a little bit. Right. Yeah, it was in the context of like other other things that were sort of sowing seeds of doubt, somewhat intentionally. I think parenting was one of the things where I was able to tune out outside noises for whatever reason, and I I think I was really really deliberate about it, and I and I sort of told my husband about like. I was kind of like, we got this. Like, we don't need, because I remember at one point he was like, oh, I should ask my mom this. And I was like, no, you shouldn't. We got this. Like, we're good. Not that there's anything wrong with like anybody else, but like, we've got this. And it really, it really had a big impact, I think, on like our relationship and the way we parented. I don't know. I don't know if we like gave off the vibe, but like nobody, nobody was coming to our house offering parenting advice. So when did you feel like you needed to become unboxed? Like what what was boxing you in in terms of going for your goals and dreams? One of the first things, and it's actually the opening chapter of my book, um, was when I stopped drinking. And that was one of the, you know, at the time when I stopped drinking, I was in direct sales and I was president of, I was co-chair of the PTA and living in the suburbs and a mom of three. And it was 2017. So it was five years ago. And it's like, mommy wine culture is just raging everywhere. And I make Mm -hmm. no judgment on that. But it is, it's everywhere in direct sales, it's everywhere in like PTA meetings. And it was one of the first things. It was one of the first areas of my life where I was like, I don't feel like this suits me. And yet, it feels like a thing that I've always done. Everyone around me does. And I can't, I've, it was like one of the first places where I sort of struggled to envision my life looking different than everyone else's. Everyone else is sort of around me. And there were like a lot of things, you know, there were a lot of places where I said yes to things where I wanted to say no. Whether it was like around school volunteer stuff or... Yep. You know, just there were things where there were so many things where it was sort of like you just kind of go through the motions of doing the things, uh, whether it's like with your kids at school or jumping from one job to the next. It felt like if a thing was offered and I could say like, oh, yeah, that seems like it might be fun. I would just do it and take it at face value. And so when I started to think about myself not drinking I realized that I was almost like rewriting this vision of like myself in these different scenarios. And I was seeing myself in these scenarios, but I was reframing how I was there. I was like reimagining, repainting this picture. And it was still me and I was still in these places, but I could curate it in a different way. And so then when I started to imagine like somebody asking me to do 
you know, some volunteer job at the school or like offering me this opportunity here or this opportunity there, I started to realize like, I could say yes to that, but I could also do the same thing where I'm like curating it around a vision that actually works for me. Right. And so it wasn't just like a, do you want a glass of rosé? Sure. Do you want to just volunteer job? Sure. It's like, no, I'd actually like a seltzer and I can like, you know, repaint it in a way that works for me. Do you want this volunteer job? No, but I would actually like to do this, this, and this. It's like, once you can imagine yourself not just accepting what's handed to you, not just saying like, oh, that box on the wall, I'll take that one exactly as it is. But like, Mm -hmm. let me look inside and pick and choose the parts that I want and repaint it the way that I want you start to realize that you can do that with most things. Yeah, that's so interesting. That So like the first step for you was just imagining it. Yeah, realizing that you could. Like you don't just have to take the thing exactly how it is. You're like, I'd like parts of that. Yeah, I think, and you know, there's a lot of fear, I think, in trying to curate something or make it work for you. And that is probably from, you know, a scarcity mindset and that's where it comes from, you know, well, they offered me this, and if I don't take it, the whole thing's gone. Right. Like, you're not going to be my friend anymore if I say no rosé. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or just even, you know, just even, I don't know, we just sort of feel like it's just hard to imagine that things exist beyond beyond what they are. Like, I mean, I don't know, my kid used to watch some guy play video games who makes like $20 million a year. I know on YouTube. The My kids do. Like unbox the toys. It's like all of these things that exist now and, and they didn't used to. And all it takes is a person being like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if. Yeah. It's so true. And it's like, that is, that is, that is probably like one of the most powerful things. It's like, what if we just start? And it's probably one of my most commonly used phrases now. It makes my husband crazy because usually I'm like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, and he's like, oh my God, I don't want to go on vacation and I don't want to buy it. Wouldn't house. it be cool if, if that's how you start it? <laughs> I mean, most of my most of my sentences are like, wouldn't it be cool if, and he's like, uh-oh, <laughs> it sounds expensive. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we just imagined and then created things? Yeah. It's like, wouldn't it be cool if you're, phone was a computer and voila. And and now they are. Now they are. Yeah. But that's, that's what happens when you start to ask yourself the questions of like, what do I need? What do I want? And what am I willing to do to get there? And then you create these things and you're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could actually do that and make it a job? Yeah. And sometimes you can. Yeah. So how do you deal with rejecting all of society's expectations and norms because there's a lot of pressure with that. I personally am on the mom wine culture thing. Like I'm, I'm poster child and I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it didn't suit me. Right. So it doesn't suit you. Don't do it. Yeah. It did not make me the best version of me. (laughs) Um, And I make no judgment on, on anybody. How do I reject it? I've just really stopped caring. I'm not, well, no, that's not true. I have stopped asking for permission. Mm. And I've stopped asking for validation. Love that. 
And so it's not, I'm not really rejecting anything and nothing's really rejecting me. Like we just sort of coexist and like, I'm over here doing my thing and society's expectations are over there. And I'm like, Hey, I see you. I'm just going to be over here (laughs) drinking my LaCroix and um, (laughs) not working in finance. (laughs) Like, you know, like I'm like, I'm cool and I'm here and, and I'm not asking you to approve of me. And uh, was that a slow process for you? Um, it was. It was a strange thing to realize that I had to actually stop asking. It, like, there's a mindset shift, mm-hmm. and there's also like the actual words coming out of your mouth. Like, it's not just like an emotional asking for permission and like an emotional rejection. Like I had to stop being like, Hey, what do you think I should do when I grow up? Like Mm -hmm. you have to actually stop asking people what they think of your job and what they think, like the words have to stop coming out of your mouth. When you physically say to somebody like, do you think I should quit my job? They are going to physically verbally respond answer. (laughs) Yes. You are going to hear those words. So you have to just Stop saying the things that you don't want an answer to. You have to stop asking the question. Do you even do that with your husband? I'm curious about what he thinks about things, though. I mean, we've been together for like 19 years. I'm pretty clear on what he thinks about most things. <laughs> <laughs> and I sometimes am like, I know how you mostly think about this, but like, do you feel like any part of it is interesting? <laughs> you know, like he he's very happy in his little finance box. Like I'm very curious about what people think about things, but I don't internalize it. Right. It's not, it's not Um, permission. Yeah. I don't, I'll sometimes say to people like, was that directed at me? Cause like, I don't take things personally unless you tell me like, Hey, I'm saying this to be mean to you. I'm like, (laughs) I didn't take that personally. I, I love that. Unless you tell me I'm like, that you're trying to hurt my that, feelings. Was that a dig? I didn't, I didn't feel it. Um, <laughs> and I am very much like, I'm not being snarky. Like if I have something mean to say to you, like, first of all, I probably don't because I don't in like the nicest possible way. I don't really care what other people are doing. Like as long as you're not being a jerk unnecessarily, I do think there are times to be a jerk on purpose. Yeah, I agree. Um, but like, as long as you're not being malicious, like you do you, I, I don't really care what you're doing. I don't have a vested interest in what you're doing. Like, as long as you're happy, I think, I think the more people that smile, the better, the better like energy is in the world. And so I can't a little bit about that, but like, I, I prefer people not walk around just throwing snark around for no reason. Cause I think we don't need to be crankier than we are. But I really like, I don't, I don't necessarily care what other people are doing. And so I, yeah, I typically just assume nobody else cares what I'm doing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's usually true. Honestly, like we, we spend a lot of time thinking people are like judging us or care about us. And meanwhile, they're not thinking about us or judging us because they're worrying that everybody else is judging them and thinking about them. And I think it's a, it is a slow process to go from needing validation and caring what people think to trusting yourself and just loving yourself the way you are. And I, I I love the idea of that first step just being like, imagine, 
Imagine what it would be like if you didn't care or if you yeah. didn't need it. Like, just imagine what it would be like. Maybe you still do need it, but just imagine what it would be like if you didn't. Right. Right. Imagine if you being like, I like your idea. I, me, like my own idea. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I very rarely give my kids my opinions about what they're doing. I sometimes. Wow. That like, would be hard for me. Yeah. Like, I have a 13-year-old son, and sometimes I'm like, this is an interesting outfit. You need to shower, and then you can put it back on. But, like, I really, like, try very hard to not. And my three kids are very, very different. And I try really, really hard to, like, not give them my opinions about their stuff. Like, also, like, I care deeply about the people that they are, what they wear. I really don't like <laughs> what they like. I just, it's, it's so much more important to me that like they feel good in their own skin. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't need to micromanage anything about them. You know, it's funny. I was just with a really close friend and her daughter is now a junior in high school and was going to homecoming and her dress this year is very different from how it was last year. It's a lot shorter, a lot tighter. And she's like, said to me, it's not what I would have picked, but she feels amazing in it and she feels confident. She loves herself in it. And I, I can't, I can't knock anything about that. Yeah, You know, she's like, last year's dress was a little bit less form fitting and a lot longer, but what am I going to do? Yeah. And so she zipped it and I, and her daughter had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I'm like, (laughs) Hey, if I was wearing that dress, right, I have a ninth grader, my oldest, and I'm like, just as a suggestion, if I was wearing that dress, this is how I would bend down to pick something <laughs> up so that you couldn't see my push. Right, right. You might, and I say things like that, like, if I was doing a thing like this, this is how I might do it, if you're looking for a suggestion. It was but also, you can still do it. Yeah, totally. I was in a um, a coaching call yesterday. Um, for a class that I'm taking. And we were talking, we were talking about consent. And I was like, I do this all the time with my kids where I'll say like, Hey, are you looking to like vent or are you looking for like help solving this problem? And I think, you know, we were talking about it in terms of like how we work with clients, but I think it's so important, like with kids, like, I'm not just going to walk in and be like, I'm your mom and I know how to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough one. Often I do, but Sometimes they don't need some, like, they're not always looking for, even my 10-year-old, like, sometimes she's like, I got it. I just want to be cranky for a minute. And I'm like, cool, come in here and be cranky. Like, right. can't stay cranky forever. But, like, if you want to just be cranky for a little bit, be cranky. But, like, these are people who are going to become bigger people. And, like, they need to, you know, they need, they if they can work through these things now in terms of feeling like whole people, who get to feel their emotions and, you know, understand yes. what it means to be in control of them now when they're 10 and 13 and 14, they're going to be at a huge advantage in 10 and 15 and 20 years from now when like the emotions are grown up kind of emotions or yeah, whatever. Grown up situation. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I loved everything that you had to say. I think it was so awesome to have a real and raw honest conversation about these kinds of things. I think, you know, we grow up with certain beliefs and 
stories we've been telling ourselves, uh, the stories other people have told us that we believe about ourselves, and it impacts the way we go after our goals and our our dreams, and we model that for our kids and every way. Absolutely. So I I love your your message, and I think it's just awesome that people like you are out there talking about things that most people don't want to talk about. Thanks, Nikki. It's awesome to have you here, and we'll definitely be including a link to the book in the show notes so that everyone can get their hands on it. Excellent. Thank you. And I can't wait to, wait to read yours too. Oh, awesome. Yes. It's going to coming out on Black Friday. Everyone get excited. Amazing. Well, that wraps up our conversation with Lauren Schwartzfeld. I know you took a ton of value from it and I can't wait to hear what you're going to start implementing. We'll see you next time on the Love Your Mom Life podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you took something of value from it. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone you love. And it would mean the world if you would leave a rating or a review. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Your Ideal Mom Life on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I can't wait to be with you in the next episode of the Love Your Mom Life podcast.